You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet. Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best nut sound you've ever heard. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. It's yeah. called corn dog. So it's called what? Corn dog. It's not called corn dog. Oh yeah. Is it called corn dog? There's nothing better than a good corn dog with some mustard and uh, ketchup. But he doesn't step into the huddle and say corn dog. Oh no, he says corn dog. You brought corn dog back for an encore. What happened? It wasn't called corn dog, but you brought it back after yeah. last year. Yeah. What happened? Well. We put a little mustard and a little ketchup on it, and good things happen. So um, we call it Tom and Jerry. It, it's a, Why did a you call it Tom and Jerry? Uh, just it, it involves a couple people, you know, and they're dirty little rats, man, and doggone. So it was a good play. Recent examples of some of the access that Peter King was able to get developed over 40 years in the craft, Peter announced this morning. To the amazement of many, Peter, this is what I was telling my wife this last night. A decent number of people knew you were retiring. Not a whole lot, but enough. And it reaches a critical mass where somebody who knows says something to one of the various reporters who cover sports media. Everybody respected your wishes. Nobody blabbed. In an age of ever-increasing willingness by folks to blab, that's the most impressive aspect of all of it, that you are able to maintain it and drop it on your own terms and walk away with your announcement this morning in Football Morning in America. And good morning. Good morning, Mike. You act like me retiring matters. I mean, you know, let's, you know, or like it's some huge bit of news. Yeah. And and look, I... Uh, It is. Peter, it is. And I've... It is. Oh, I mean. <laughs> don't know, sell yourself I, short. I, I'm, it I'm is. A, I don't sell myself short. I know I did a good job, or at least I think I did, but I'm a reporter. I'm not somebody who you go to see. I'm somebody who you go to read. But but besides all that, beside all that, you know, I, I am, uh, you know, I'm really kind of humbled at your words and at a lot of people's words uh, about me walking away. But, you know, Mike, I just think that as I have watched 
this life, this world, so many of my peers who either die on the job or don't go out on their own terms. And, you know, I, I was saying to Mike Reese, I just texted Mike Reese of ESPN Boston this morning because he texted me with a real nice text. And he said, hey, I, I think some of your greatest stuff was this year. I, I really enjoyed it. And I said, you know, the one thing I really wanted to do this year more than anything else is I wanted nobody to be able to say, man, he's mailing it in this year. I could see he was he was done. He was he was out. And I just felt like I really wanted and I kind of knew for some time that this was going to be it. I wasn't positive, but I I knew that it probably was. And I just never wanted anybody to say he mailed it in. That was really kind of my big goal this last year. But anyway, uh it's been a lot of fun. I don't think anybody could ever accuse you of mailing anything in. You mentioned in the column at one point our mutual boss, Sam Flood, suggested that maybe you cut from 10,000 words back to 6,000, and you're just not wired to do that. And that caused me, because I know how much you like numbers, I tried to do the math, and I suspect you have at some point, between Monday morning quarterback and football morning in America, the number of words written, because you'd... (laughs) Did it every week of the year with the exception of four or five. I mean, I don't know what the over-under is. I assume that one of the various betting apps would set a line at the over-under. It's got to be a lot of words, like in the millions. The question is how many millions? The You know what I said to someone uh, recently who said, hey, maybe you'll maybe you'll write a book. I mean, you must have a great book in you. I said, there's two things about that. What have I hidden? What have I kept, uh, you know, in some notebook in my office that I haven't used? I just, I, I, I mean, I open my notebook every week and just tell you everything that I know and everything that I think. So I don't really have that. Plus, here's the other thing. I write the equivalent of a, you know, an 80 to 100,000 word novel every eight to 10 weeks. So it's not exactly like, you know, when I walk away, I want to sit down, hey, let's write 100,000 words in the next few weeks and write a book. So, you know, I haven't really thought very much about doing that. And who knows, I may at some point, but I... Uh, I think I'm for a while, I'm probably just going to do nothing. But Peter, one thing I've learned, once you develop the capacity to write well and write quickly, and you write far better than I do, but once you stretch that rubber band, you realize how easy it is to redirect it to other things. During the pandemic, I started screwing around with fiction and, and it flows. Once you learn how to make it flow, it doesn't matter what it is that you're writing about. You have that capacity. And I love the fact that your retirement comes with an asterisk because you're not walking off into the sunset. We're going to hear from Peter King in some way, shape, or form. He's just going to take some time to figure it out. That's the thing that makes me not sad and emotional. Like I was trying to think of a good Seinfeld reference, and I thought of the one where he says, what is this salty discharge? And it's like, I'm not going to cry today. Peter (laughs) King isn't going away. He's just stepping aside. So the better reference for today is 
you're Kramer and you're walking in with your hundred bucks and you're slapping it on the table and you're saying I'm out. But I'm Kramer out. Kramer was that's never a, really that's out. Very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he wasn't. Hey, look, you know, Mike. There's something about it. Part of me is sad because nothing will replace sitting in the winning coach's office after the Super Bowl and having having him tell me. Hey, here's Corn Dog, and here's what we did with Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore. Nothing will replace. Here's Tom and Jerry, and here's why Nicole Hardman came from a season of awfulness, you know, with the Jets and with us, and why he's now the hero of the Super Bowl. I mean, there's something about that, and the fact that. In five or six hours after I stand up in that office and walk away, that I'm going to be able to tell the world about it. Nothing will ever replace that for me. Nothing. It's what I have loved to do my whole life, and and that's why you know to me, you know, riding to work with Kyle Shanahan the week before the Super Bowl and talking to him about a lot of the real deep stuff in his life. I mean, these are the things that. I got into the business to begin with, and and look, of course, I'm going to miss doing them without any question. But those are the kind of things that, if you have this immense curiosity, and if you have this work ethic, if you have this drive, and you're listening to me now, and you're at Ohio University or University of Missouri, well, you're probably asleep still. But it, you know, if you if you're listening to me at any of these great journalism schools in the country. I'm telling you, you can do it. And the reason you can do it is because, just look at me. I'm not Rick Riley, Frank DeFord, Curry Kirkpatrick, you know, any of the, you know, Steve Russian. I'm not any of the Tom Verducci. I'm not any of the truly great writers in any way, shape, or form. I just was able to do it because I would look around a press box on a Sunday in 1992, 98, 2000, you know, and I would just say mentally, I would literally, I would say this to myself almost every day. I'm going to write the best story of anybody in this room today. Uh, And, and sometimes I did. And a lot of times I didn't, but that was my thought process going into every day that I did this job. Well, and again, number one, you're selling yourself short as a writer, which is fine. That's for me to say, not you to say, and that's fu- that, that will be fine. But the other thing that you bring to the table, and you touch on this in your column this morning, the sacrifices that need to be made in order to do the job well, and I know we're both a bunch, uh, a, a couple of old men preaching to the youngsters that don't want to hear it, and it dawned on me last week. I remember hearing it when I was young, and I didn't want to hear it, but even though I didn't want to hear it, it got through and it kind of sunk in and it waited to spread at the right time. The idea that you aren't going to get anything unless you bust your ass. You can have all the talent in the world, but you just sit around and do nothing. It doesn't matter. You have to put in the work. You have to have the drive. You have to have the will. You have to have an element of competition. And you've got a strong element of competition. You've done a very good job of naturally concealing it over the years. It's not as obvious as it might be for others, but As you said, you look around the press box and you want to kick everybody's ass that day. And you have to have that mindset in order to put in the work. 
There were times when we stayed at the same hotel and we shared a wall, and I could hear you up talking on the damn phone until 3 in the morning, and I'm trying to sleep, and I wanted to bang on the walls. Hey, Peter, shut the hell up. I'm trying to sleep over here. I mean, you would go on Sunday night until 3, 4 in the morning to get your column done. Hey, you know, that it just really reminds me, and you you talk about this, Mike, and, and look, all of these things you have to have, in my opinion, to be good in this business. You have it. You post stuff at 4.30 in the morning and, and all your and your staff, Michael David Smith and Shireen and Miles. I mean, all of your people are worker bees, too. But I've always felt this way, too. Did I not enjoy it? Well, you know, at 3.30 in the morning, I didn't particularly enjoy it. But... Did I enjoy virtually everything about the job at all times? Absolutely. And you know what, Mike? You know when I really knew that I probably need to go? You know how every year, like I would always have a little grid when I was going to the scouting combine. And I would have like 30 targets that I wanted to spend time with. You know, like last year, my big target was Ryan Poles. They got the first pick in the draft and all that. And you know what I really knew? This was probably November, December, when I really knew was that I said, I got to retire before the combine. And, you know, you say, well, geez, why do you have to do that? I said, because I don't really want to go to the combine now. It isn't that it isn't an incredibly valuable place to get work done. It's fantastic. But the point is, I just really don't want to stay up until one one thirty every morning for four or five days. Because at the combine, that's what you do. And I just, I'm done. I'm done with sacrificing everything in order to spend a half hour with a general manager who's got the fifth pick in the draft. And again, that it's not. Dis- I hope that there are a hundred people at the combine who have the desire that I had three, four, six, seven years ago when I would do that every year, I'd make my little grid. But, you know, you reach different stages in life where you don't want to do those things anymore. And that's when you kind of know. And I really feel like if that's part of it, I should not be doing this job anymore. It belongs to the people who are really effing excited about going to the combine and running into Matt Eberflus in the hallway and buttonholing him with three questions. I mean, that that's the combine experience, and it's fantastic. But, you know, I, I, I've done it. See, that's where I could be really snarky and say no one's excited about running into Matt Eberflus, including Mrs. Eberflus, but <laughs> just, that's just popped into my head. I don't really mean it. It's just an opportunity that I didn't want to let go to waste. You know, I offered to make the whole show a trip down Peter King memory lane like your remember no. the old This Is Your no. Life show. But Peter didn't want no. that. Peter, I got no. one thing more to say, though, before we get to the news, because there is news to get to as we get yeah. ready to head to the scouting combine, or at least I get ready to. I don't want to go either. At least, at least you got a good excuse. You're retired. I don't enjoy it. I'm flat out willing to say it. I hate it. I hate going. I hate that week. It's exhausting. It wears you out. I my, my I have one objective on my on my list. Come home. So uh, anyway, oh, I'm yeah. well. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not ready to retire. Afternoon, but says Mike. I don't. 
<laughs> I don't like I don't like the scouting combine, and I never have. Okay, um, so so the one thing you know because we cover a next man up sport, and one of the things that has occurred to me over the years, every football team is a giant machine with interchangeable parts, and when one goes, another one gets put in its place, and it just keeps rolling. Peter, you know you won't be replaced. At least not until somebody grows into what you've been able to do. There isn't going to be somebody riding with one of the coaches in the Super Bowl on the way to work next year. There isn't going to be somebody sitting with Andy Reid when he wins his third straight Super Bowl, having him walk through whatever, you know, hot pretzel with mustard play that they come up with to try to win the game. It's just not going to happen. Somebody might get there. Somebody might get there. But it ain't going to happen this year. That's for damn sure. There isn't anybody who covers the sport that can do what you do. And that is 100% unvarnished truth. And I don't know how many people even know how to get there. It's not like there's somebody who's just a year or two away. Like what you've been able to do, and we talked about this last week, you know, the 40 years that you've put in, the relationships you've built allows you to do the things you've done in recent years. It's a culmination of what you've put into the craft and how people have trusted you over years. And, and you've gotten along with people, you get along with people far better than I do. And that's all resulted in what you've been able to do. And there's nobody who's going to be able to do it. It's just gone until somebody else develops the way you did the kind of network, the kind of trust, the kind of respect that allows them to do it. So I don't expect it to happen anytime. soon. I don't expect it to happen before I walk off into the sunset. That's for damn sure. Well, I appreciate that, Mike. Thank you. I guess I would just say two things. Number one, there's a reason why I request, why I asked Andy Reid when I saw him in training camp in early August in the middle of nowhere, Missouri. And I asked him, hey, listen, if you win it this year, I want to do the same thing. He says, okay. You know, as we did last year. So he kind of knew it was coming if if they won. But... Mike, there's one. There's a reason, and and it's why when I wrote my column today, I'm the luckiest man on the face of the earth. I've known Andy Reid since 1995, when he walked up to me at a Green Bay Packers training camp and said, and I'm this is not exact quotes, but he basically said, "Man, I went to college to be able to do your job. I went to Brigham Young. I wanted to write for Sports Illustrated. That was my goal." And obviously, my life took a different turn and all that stuff. But when your relationship with somebody starts like that, and then here we are almost 30 years later, and, uh, you know, I had told Andy that I think this this is going to be it. And on Friday, when I was the pool reporter out at uh, Kansas City practices this week for the pro football writers, uh, Andy walked over to me on the sidelines and says, come with me. This is on Friday, uh, late morning, early afternoon. He said, come with me. And I walked out onto the field, and I stood with him and Michael Vick watching Patrick Mahomes five yards behind him, watching Patrick Mahomes run a 10-play red zone drive, uh, or 10 plays in the red zone, and standing there with Michael Vick and watching all this stuff and And then Andy sort of looked at me at the end and he said, okay, you can go back. But he just wanted me to be able to experience something really that nobody else could experience. And so I'm grateful for that. But Mike, it can be done. It absolutely unequivocally can be done.
But I will just say this in warning. This is not 1995 covering the NFL anymore. There are barriers put up. There are walls put up. It's a lot more difficult to be able to form the kind of relationships that working for Sports Illustrated, I was able to form. When in 1991, I went into the Dallas Cowboys locker room when they were at the beginning their their dynasty, at the height of their, starting to get to the height of their greatness. And I went over to talk to Michael Irvin and he goes, Peter, and he, he yells at the top of his lungs, hey guys, we're in a Sports Illustrated game this week. We're in an effing Sports Illustrated game this week. And everybody sort of looked over and there's Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, Novacek, all these guys. And so, but the point is, it, that's not there anymore. People have to figure out other ways to get inside teams, to get to know players. And look, Mike, I'm just telling you, somebody will do it. People will do it. It's just going to be hard. Well, and that leads to one final point. I swear this is the last one before we get to the news of the day. The proliferation of media owned by teams, media owned by the league. You touch on that in your column. We had an item yesterday about an interview of Michael Bidwell, the owner of the Cardinals, by the flagship radio station that touched on none of the hot-button issues involving that franchise for the past 12 months. None of them, not a single one. Not a single one. And Kyle Odegaard, who used to work for the Cardinals, peeled back the curtain and said, hey, I lived this for eight years. There's certain things you can't touch. There's certain things you can't say. There's certain things you can't do. Independence, significant independence in media, the way Sports Illustrated was, where there weren't tentacles that allowed the NFL to directly or indirectly try to shape things or complain to your bosses or otherwise do things to intimidate you so you would behave the way that the people on the payroll behave that's part of the impediment today that strong voice of independence isn't there because everybody to some degree is in a relationship where they either are compromised or they're not acting like they're as compromised as they really are and it's a constant fight against those who are in a position at 345 Park Avenue to try to shape and mold things a certain way. That's gone. And I don't think that's ever coming back. It probably isn't coming back. So you know what you got to do? You got to work the edges. And I pointed this out in my column, Mike. You know, one of the reasons why, and look, I know there's a lot of people who hate you. There's a lot of people who like you, whatever. This has nothing to do with any of that. As long as none of them live in this house, I'm fine with that. This has nothing to do with any of that, but my point is that I appreciate guys like Seth Wickersham, Don Van Natta, Mike Florio, because you work at places that have gigantic network uh, influencing contracts, like future of the networks at NBC, at ESPN, with with the NFL contracts. And so there are these contracts, there are these business deals, and you have the ability to basically be, uh, as do Seth and Don, and look, there are others, to be an honest man in the the face of all that. And look, I'll I'll only say this, it's like those, I, I don't even know those students at Northwestern, I have great admiration for them, the ones who blew the lid off the 
problems in their football program last year and got a lot of things changed in that football program. That's journalism. That has to be done. That There has to be a way, there has to be a path to continue to do that. And that's why I called out some people today, you know, in my column, Kaylin Kaler and Jordan Rodriguez, The Athletic, are people who, they work the edges, they understand, they know how to get stories around the NFL. And so, and there are many others, many others, but it will be harder, will be tougher to do that. And look, I, I had a comment in my column a few weeks ago when I read that ESPN and the NFL were talking about some sort of partnership. I have no idea what it is, I have no idea what's going to happen. But all I said on that, you know, when that happened was, you know, I feel sorry for journalism if that happens, because at least at ESPN, there is a segment of the place that is very, very in tune with trying to hold the NFL to account, trying to hold Dan Snyder to account, and trying to hold a lot of things that are going wrong in the NFL, and, and trying to just simply call them out and say, hey, you should think of, be thinking about this. You do that. Those things simply cannot go away. And you had a lot of that honesty that would be embedded within your column that if you weren't looking for it, you might miss it. It just kind of naturally and organically flowed within the topics that you were covering, but you didn't pull punches. And you experience, I assume, the same thing I have with NBC, 100% support of what we do. If there's heat to be taken, the bosses will take it. If they have to talk to us, they'll talk to us. But nothing changes. No one says you can't do that anymore. And I think we both have been trusted to speak the truth as we see fit, understand that we're not going to be gratuitous about it. We're not going to be mean about it. We're going to say what needs to be said. We're going to try to point out the things that you know, could maybe help the NFL. That's the thing that always pisses me off when they get pissed off. It's like, guys, I'm trying to help you. You're dangerously close to the cliff on a certain issue, and I'm trying to help you steer the car back on. Don't get mad at us for trying to tell you what we think you should do to try to avert disaster. Maybe one of these days you'll thank us. Yeah. I don't know. You know, look, the NFL is the all-powerful Oz right now. That's just the way it is. They're in a position that Mark Cuban thought they'd have been run over the cliff by now. But you know what? The hogs didn't get slaughtered. The hogs got fatter. And maybe the hogs will become uh, Goliaths at some point. I don't know. We don't know. There are obviously things on the horizon that they need to be careful about. Sports gambling, head trauma, all those things. I get it. Officiating. But look, you just have to cover. You just have to cover the league as honestly as you can. And that's the only thing that worries me about, you know, the media these days. You know, if you know what I said in my column, when Roger Goodell signs your paycheck, you know that you might be able to go to the edge of the cliff, but you're not going to go over it or you risk becoming Jim Trotter. That's all there is to it. And well said. good for Jim Trotter because he pressed the issue and he got fired because of it, regardless of what is said. He got fired because of it. And look, we'll see what happens. I don't know the inner workings of that of that lawsuit or, or anything. I haven't covered it. But what I would say is that, look, the NFL really needs to have, honestly, needs to have some adversaries and not just three or four of them. And that is one of the things that worries me a little bit about the future of the media.
Well said, and uh, I'll continue to be on that wall, even if there's one less voice on it in Peter King that can uh, help support me on some of these issues as we try to keep the NFL moving in the right direction. Because, look, I go back to when I was a kid. I fell in love with the mythology of football. The NFL can only blame itself for me putting it on a pedestal and expecting it to behave that way. That's it. That's it. The NFL put itself on a pedestal with me via NFL films and the booming voice of John Facenda in slow motion footballs wobbling through the air in snowflakes. And I just expect the NFL to act that way. That's it. Plain and simple. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. You haven't heard about number crispy yet. Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right. Now, news of the day. This came out while we've been talking about Peter King's illustrious career. Andy Reid's illustrious career, a guy that Peter King has mentioned a couple of times over the past 25 minutes or so. Tom Pelissero of NFL Media says that Andy Reid and the Chiefs have opened talks on a contract extension, and Reid is expected to become the NFL's highest-paid head coach. Now, I don't know how you ever prove that because the highest-paid head coaches get paid through all sorts of other companies and funds, etc., so no one really knows how much they're making, but... I've seen reporting, and I've heard the same thing, and Peter, you probably have too, that Andy Reid's making about $12 million a year right now, which frankly is stunning when you consider what he's accomplished and when you consider where the market is and where it should be and what players are making. $12 million? Are you kidding me? For, for signing your life over to making that team as good as it can be and win a couple of Super Bowls, they better take care of this guy's salary, and they better do it quickly. It's overdue that he gets a big raise. Well, Mike, right now, I think we probably would both agree that in 2023, uh, and again, I don't know that they were absolutely the two highest paid guys, but if you ask me, my gut feeling is that Bill Belichick at pick a number, 22, 23, something like that, uh, would have been the highest paid guy. Sean Payton was in the neighborhood of 20 uh, I don't know other, and I don't know for sure their numbers either, but I feel like in the neighborhood, that's where they are. And if Andy Reid trails anybody by $10 million, it's got to be fixed. So, you know, good for him, good for Kansas City. And look, this is just my opinion, my opinion. I don't have any facts to back it up. I'm just going to give you my opinion. 
I believe from here on out, whatever he signs, I think Andy Reid goes year to year from here on out. And I don't intend to, or I don't, I don't believe that, okay, next year is necessarily his last year, but I think it might be. And then I think beyond that, I think he just goes year to year because he now is, and look, I had a note in my column, here's how amazing, here's how, what the amazing thing about coaching is right now. John Madden coached his last game at 42 years old. Andy Reid has coached 429 games since turning 42 years old. That's crazy, insane. I actually texted that note to him this weekend, and he just simply couldn't believe it. But the fact is, it says a lot about where coaching was and where coaching is now. And where coaching was a long time ago, guys didn't think that they had to coach into their, even into their 50s. Um, and, and the one other thing I would say, Mike, about kind of coaching salaries, especially as the salary cap goes monstrously up and up, and you realize what people like Andy Reid actually do when he doesn't just roll the ball out. And I could give you five stories this year. I wrote about one of them in my column today about what he did at New England this year. And what Matt Nagy brings to the table. Everybody rips him for his Chicago years. Matt Nagy is one of the smartest people in football for for resuscitating what was done years ago in the NFL and in college football and bringing it into the NFL. And in a year when Kansas City was really struggling, he brought in some plays that got them off the schneid. Did it in New England against the Patriots against the great defense there. But anyway, that needs to be remedied, and it sounds like from what Tom Pellicero reported, it will be remedied and good for Andy Reid. And look, you know, one of the things that I heard late in the season, the Chiefs had on their radar screen the possibility that Reid was going to walk away to the extent that they were thinking about who would be next? They didn't know what he was going to do. When Clark Hunt spoke to our buddy Mad Dog about it at the Super Bowl, Clark Hunt made it clear that he hadn't spoken to Andy Reid about what he's going to do next year yet. We speak every offseason. We haven't spoken yet. He didn't know what he was going to do. They were ready, and I think that's smart. They need to be ready. But they were ready for the possibility he was going to walk away. And I'll tell you what, if you're only paying the guy $12 million a year, you make it more likely he's going to say, it's not worth it. Look at what these other guys are making. Look at what the players are making. Look at what the owners are making. There are coaches who believe, and they can't come out and say it because they value their jobs. They believe there's collusion when it comes to what coaches are paid, that there are owners who stand up when it's that one per club, when they have their meetings. Next one's coming up in a few weeks in Orlando. Stand up and say, we can't be paying these coaches more than $20 million a year. We can't do it. We won't do it. Folks, that's illegal. That's an antitrust violation. 32 different businesses can't come together and set what they're going to pay their workforce. Just ask the NCAA how that's playing out for them right now. It is a violation of federal antitrust law. And when the, the, the thing I'd love to have access to, Peter, if I could have access to one thing, one comprehensive set of data, it would be the year-to-year increase in player pay, year-to-year real numbers for coaches for the past 50 years. And let's see how that's gone. And I think what's happened is, thanks to the salary cap and thanks to the salary floor, 
Player pay has increased at a far more dramatic rate than coaching pay. And like you said, a great co- I mean, think about what some mid-level players make. And you've got coaches making like Jimmy Garoppolo, the contract he signed last year, 22, 23 million a year. Are you telling me you'd rather have Jimmy Garoppolo than Bill Belichick working for you? No way. Here's the thing, Mike. You know, let's go back. What is it now? 11 years? Is it 11 or 12? I forget. But when Joe Flacco held out <clears throat> and he just said, essentially, I'm going to bet on myself. And he ends up winning the Super Bowl. He becomes the NFL's first $20 million quarterback. So <clears throat> just think about it. In the span of 11 years, or maybe 12, that the top pay for a quarterback essentially has tripled. The top pay for coaches has not tripled. It's probably barely doubled because there were coaches in 2012, 13 uh, who were making $10 million. And so, look, I agree with you, but Mike, you know what one of the issues is there? If I were coaches, as much as you say, oh, I don't want anybody to know what I make, there is a certain strength in having all salaries published and in knowing how much money Dak Prescott is going to make. You know why? Because when the San Francisco 49ers beat the Cowboys again next year, and again, I'm being obnoxious now, but when they beat the Cowboys again next year <laughs> and after the season, and after the season, Brock Purdy is first eligible for, uh, you know, to get a new contract. Okay, if I were him, if I were his agent, I would say, now, hang on a minute. I'm whatever the number is, 4-0. and I, I don't even know what it would be. But I'm 4-0, and 5-0 and against this guy who makes $60 million a year. I, I, you know, Dak Prescott, whatever he's going to get when he redoes the deal with the Cowboys. I, I'm 4-0 I'm and against him. And we have outplayed him four times. Why? Just explain why to me that I'm not going to get more than what he gets. And, and it's the same thing with coaches. If I were coaches, I would want the salaries out because I would want to say, hey, listen, this guy, John Doe, has been 7-10 two years in a row, and he makes $18 million. What are we doing here? And, and so anyway, I don't expect that to change. But if I were a coach, even though I'd be uncomfortable with people knowing how much money I make, I would be a lot happier if if people knew how much money every coach made because rising tides lift all boats. It's an excellent point. And look, one of the reasons they keep it quiet is it advances what some believe is collusion because nobody really knows. And they can set certain bars and they can say we're not going above this and other teams don't do that because everyone is enough in the dark the teams that are trying to drive a hard bargain with a head coach can do whatever they want. And what can the coach do? Say, no, thank you. I'm going to go coach at UCLA. I'm going to go take a mid-level college program. I'm going to, you know, what, what else are you going to do? You have that job. You don't want to give up that yep. job because there's only 32 of them. And I think they use that to leverage the coaches to take less. And, and Peter, the key would be to unionize. The coaches, if they were unionized, it would all be out yeah. there. They would have their strength in numbers, and they would end up having – their own salary cap, and their own salary floor, and we would see the pay go up for them at the same rate it's been going up for the players. I thought of that and wrote about it 
this past weekend when we saw, and we're going to talk about this later in the show, the dramatic jump in the salary cap. Everyone's making more money. Everything is going up and up and up. That rising tide that you mentioned, it's lifting all boats except the coaches. And, and no one's going to shed tears because, you know, the average fan, when, when forced to choose between the millionaire and the billionaire, always sides with the billionaire because, you know, yeah. I can understand it. The average person hates all of them. They all got more than we got. And that's fine. I get it. I understand it. I used to be there from the standpoint of, hey, you know, why are you causing trouble? Why do you want more money? How much is enough? Just shut up and go to work because you're thinking about the team. You want the team to do well. I get that. I understand that. But as you said, there's strength in numbers. There's value in transparency. And and something needs to happen with this Andy Reid contract, and it looks like it will. Let's stay in the AFC West. Russell Wilson, appearing on the I Am Athlete podcast with Brandon Marshall, an 80-minute conversation that as far as I could glean, was shot at Russell's home in the Denver area. Here is Russell talking to Brandon Marshall about his future at a time when it seems like it's just a matter of time before the Broncos release Russell Wilson. I got more fire than ever, honestly, especially over the past two years of what I've gone through, whether it's in Denver or somewhere else. I, I hope it's in Denver. You know, I hope I get to finish there. I, I committed there. I wanted to be there. You know, I want to be there. Hold on, you, want, you can go back to Denver, bro? I can go back there. You can play with Coach Payton again? Yeah. For me, it's about winning. About winning. Over the next five years, I want to win too. I want to feel the chill of that trophy again. So, you know, yeah, I want to, I want to go back to Denver. I hope, I hope I get to go back. Pittsburgh Steelers, Las Vegas Raiders, Atlanta Falcons, New England Patriots. Well, I will put Denver one because I'm there right now. It's just... You know, and, uh, you know, I, I think you have to have the ability to compartmentalize. Which you've shown. Yeah. I think you have the ability to compartmentalize that, listen, it's a business. You've got to be also non-emotional about it, too, at the same time. You also have to know that there's ebbs and flows to it. You know, winning heals all wounds. To me, it's really focusing about being the best version of me, being prepared. And no matter what, you control what you can control. So my mindset right now where I am is where I am, and I'd love to be there, you know, love to win. And that's what I came there to do is win more Super Bowls. And so if, if it's not there, though, i got to go a place that we're going to win again. Peter, here's the reality. Russell Wilson has $39 million that he is fully guaranteed to make from the Broncos this year. If he's on the roster March 17, his $37 million salary for 2025 becomes fully guaranteed. That was the heart of the kerfuffle that occurred during the 2023 season. The Broncos wanted him to delay that vesting date from March 17, 2024, presumably to at or about the same time in 2025. So they aren't on the hook for another $37 million fully guaranteed at a time when they're not 100% sure that Russell Wilson is the long-term answer. They didn't want to have to commit to another 37 when they're already committed to another 39. Wilson said no. His agent said no. And I can understand why Russell's position is, I'm a member of the Denver Broncos because he is. But Peter, unless he's willing to push that date back a year, they're not going to keep him. They're just not going to keep him. They're not. 
And if it's a football decision as to why he was benched late in the season, well, that sufficiently shows lack of faith in Russell Wilson to make Sean Payton not commit to another $37 million fully guaranteed a year from now. It's just not going to happen. And I understand he's saying all the right things. The bottom line is there's no way they're going to keep him if he doesn't delay that $37 million vesting date. Here's the thing. If I were Russell Wilson, <clears throat> I would want to press the issue because, Mike, the earlier you get out on the market, the better chance you have of landing a good opportunity to win a starting job next year. And look, Mike Tomlin is famously partial to Virginians, but I have no idea what that means in this case about a kid from Richmond. Uh, and if you look at all the other places where things could happen positively for Russell Wilson, listen, some of those musical chairs are going to be filled if he waits too long. He absolutely should not delay this, uh, you know, the, the payment of this. Because look, the great advantage that Russell Wilson has in 2024 is that he can go somewhere and play for whatever the number is, a million, 965, whatever, whatever 1. the number 1.21 million, 1.21 million. Okay. All right, he can go and play for something that is tremendously cap advantageous to a team. So I wouldn't go to any team say, hey, let's make a three-year deal. You pay me nothing this year, and then you pay me a lot afterwards. No, no, no. I go to a team, and I say, hey, look, let's do the fair thing for you and for me. Have me on your team this year. I'm not coming in demanding the starting job. Let me compete. Say to Mike Tomlin, uh, in essence, let me just compete for this starting job with Kenny Pickett and presumably Mason Rudolph in Atlanta. Let me just compete with whoever is in your camp, Taylor Heineke, Desmond Ritter, wh whoever is there. Let me just compete. And, and so in that way, you're saying to a team, what, what does it cost to have Russell Wilson in camp? Nothing. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic deal for us. And clearly he's better than what we have. So let's, let's do it. And let's get him in now so that he can get used to the guys, so he can start throwing to the receivers, and so we can hit the ground running uh, the second week of September. The original analytics in football, long before it infiltrated X's and O's decisions, the reality that personnel management was driven by value. What is your value to the team? If you can get a starting quarterback for the entirety of the 2024 season at $1.21 million, knowing that he's going to stick the Broncos for the balance up to the $39 million he's going to make anyway, that makes him an attractive option. Now, Peter, I think there needs to be a leap of faith he eventually makes. Yes, he's willing to compete. He's always going to say he's willing to compete but he's going to want to go to the place where he thinks he's going to win the competition. He needs to have a sufficient level of confidence that if it's close, they're going to go with him. They're not going to try to justify their first yes. round pick. Yes. That's the danger in Pittsburgh. Right. Right. We still want to show that Kenny Pickett was the right pick. And Hey, we can always put Russell Wilson on the bench. We're only paying him 1.21 million. That's where he's got to be careful. He needs to go to the place where they're going to roll out the red carpet. I wrote that over the weekend. He needs to be confident. They're rolling out the red carpet and making him the starter for 2024. 
But there are teams out there. I mean, the first team that came up when things went sideways between the Broncos and Russell Wilson, he got benched late in the season. The Raiders take $1.21 million and go to the Raiders and stick it to the Broncos. They're going to pay me the difference, and I'm going to play them twice a year. I'm going to stick it to them. And there's going to be other teams that emerge. You know, Peter, if Kirk Cousins prices himself out of Minnesota and Kevin O'Connell says for $1.21 million, Hell, I made it work with Josh Dobbs for a little while. I made it work with Nick Mullins for a little while. You give me a full offseason with Russell Wilson, who had more wins than anyone over the course of a decade, who's won a Super Bowl, I'll make it work with him for $1.21 million. So I, there's going to be not a ton, but there's going to be a cluster of teams that are saying, for $1.21 million, we'd be stupid not to be interested. And you know what, Mike, the other part of this is what right now is going on in Russell Wilson's head. You know, the mind is a great motivator and he has to be thinking to himself, okay, now I had the Seahawks when I still had some significant prime left, toss me out. I had the Denver Broncos, toss me out. Uh, And in essence, I had the Denver Broncos toss me out when they don't have a no-doubt quarterback of the future on the roster. So this has to be tremendously motivating for Russell Wilson, and he is the kind of guy, and I've known him over the years, and he uses everything. He's like uh, so many players in football over the years. If Tom Brady is still using the six quarterbacks who were drafted in front of me, obviously... You know, if the greatest of all time uses that, everybody else behind him uses the exact same stuff. You know, it's not exactly the same, but it's similar. And, you know, you heard Russell Wilson on that, Mike. You and I listened to a bunch of it. But you heard Russell Wilson say that, well, you know, they called our draft class the worst uh, ever. And I I don't even know if they did, but somebody probably gave him an F uh, because Bobby Wagner was a second-round pick. Yeah, and yes. then uh, Russell Wilson was the 75th pick in the draft. What are you doing taking a 5'11 quarterback or whatever he is? What, what, what are you doing taking him in the third round? And as it turns out, I, I, you know what one of the funniest things of all is? As it turns out, the team, the, 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 the guy who was going to pick Russell Wilson, if he was still on the board with his team's next pick, is Andy Reid. And how incredibly funny is that? But, but anyway, be that as it may, He gets motivation just like so many athletes do from the perceived slights that have been given him and have been thrown his way, the thorns that have been thrown his way over the years. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And he's going to be more motivated than ever, and he just has to pick that right spot. And Denver is not going to be – that spot. I've seen some reports in recent days. Don't rule out him staying in Denver. The uh, it's. I rule it out. I will categorically rule yeah, it rule out. It out. <laughs> so, I'm, I mean, no, but 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 Peter, Peter, <laughs> how, how, the only way this happens is if he cries uncle and gives up the thirty-seven million for twenty twenty-five. Yeah. Sean Payton does not sufficiently believe in him to be the starting quarterback or he wouldn't have benched him while they were still alive in their chase for the postseason. And, you know, if you listen closely to some of the things he said to Brandon Marshall, it just underscores 
There's a lot of stuff they got to come back from. The, the notion that the NFL acknowledged that what they presented to him during the bye week after they beat the Chiefs for the first time in six years or whatever it was, longer than that, was illegal. The NFL never said it was illegal, according to the Broncos. If they would be compelled to answer that question on the record, they would say no one told us it was illegal. Russell Wilson saying that's one of those little things that makes it hard to mend fences. I think it's going to be impossible to mend this fence. He's not going to waive or delay the vesting of that guarantee by a year. The Broncos aren't going to keep him if he doesn't. That, that's a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer. He's going to be somewhere else. And according to DraftKings, the favorite is Pittsburgh at minus 225. Even though, and I saw you comment on this last week, Jerry Dulac reporting that the Steelers aren't interested in a quarterback with starting that's experience crazy. who wants to come in and start. Yeah, crazy, what do you th- I mean, if that's what they're thinking, what is wrong that's with nuts, them? man. Yeah, really, that is <laughs> nuts. If that's true, that's just crazy. I have a lot of respect for Omar Khan, the general manager, and obviously for Mike Tomlin. But to think that in a division with Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, and Deshaun Watson, that you're comfortable entering training camp with Kenny Pickett and Mason Rudolph battling out for the job, that's that is that's living in crazy town. Well, and Peter, I think Art Rooney II, the team president, has his hands on the controls discreetly and not obviously. And it's easy for him, I think, to go back 50 years and say, you know, we, we, we could have given up on Terry Bradshaw as he was trying to figure it all out, and we didn't, and it eventually paid off. It would be crazy to give up this quickly on Kenny Pickett when we drafted him to come in and be the long-term answer. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you should give him up. 1972 anymore. Yeah, right. I definitely don't think you ought to give up on him. I don't mean that. I don't mean that. And it could be that he'll play great in training camp and, and, and take this challenge and run with it. I think Kenny Pickett might be better than Russell Wilson, but he hasn't shown that yet. The fact is, I just don't think... I, the reason why I say it's living in crazy town is that one of those two guys could well be uh, the, a good to very good NFL quarterback. We haven't seen it yet. That's the only reason why I say... I think it would be a big mistake to not bring in somebody of some, you know, look, of the caliber of Russell Wilson, that'd be great. But it's got to be something. Or, you know, you've got to spend time this offseason. And I don't even mean Gardner Minshew. I mean looking for Mr. Goodbar, you know, in the various places where you find quarterbacks. That's all I think. Oh, and I think it's a great point, too, because you bring in somebody else who's either going to push Kenny Pickett to get better or he's going to surpass Kenny Pickett and be your answer. But it brings it all to a head. Let's not wait four years to figure this out. This is year three. We need some competition. We need to get the most out of this guy. And if he's not going to reach a higher level, then we're going to go with the guy that we brought in. So we're on the same page with that. Let's take a break. When we return, Eric Bieniemy makes a surprising move. We'll break that down when this Monday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet? Well, then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.